Um, so growing up, I had a friend. I still have a friend. Uh, his name's Colby Ward. And Colby Ward's favorite movie in his entire life, even now as a 40-year-old man, is the movie Twister. Right? You can absolutely make fun of him if you see him one day because he deserves it. Okay? Anybody whose favorite movie is about a tornado need, deserves to be made fun of. But the point is, we, Colby and I and a group, he was one of my best friends growing up in high school. We stayed friends throughout university. He, let, he moved from our hometown to go study meteorology at the University of Oklahoma, which if you know anything about the state of Oklahoma in the United States, and honestly, there's no real reason to know anything about Oklahoma other than this, Oklahoma, geographically in the United States, is in this kind of flat, plainsy, not very uh, rolling hills part of, the, part of the U.S., which, based on its geography and the longitude and latitudinal coordinates, which he could give you more information of, makes it the perfect place for every spring to early summer experience an inordinate amount of severe weather. They call it Tornado Alley, right? And so he went to the University of Oklahoma at Norman to study meteorology. He loved it. Every, he would wake up every morning and turn on the weather channel. He would just have the weather channel going all day in his home, right? It was either the weather channel or Twister. We knew it was one of those two, okay? And so he went there to go study it. But it turns out Colby wasn't as good enough at mathematics as you need to be in order to be a weatherman to predict weather movements. So that didn't stop Colby and his pursuits of all things storms. So he studied geography. He studied maps, right? And so he got his degree in geography, GIS, Global Information System, basically old school GPS, right? I make fun of him all the time that... Google Maps is his college degree, right? But anyway, then he makes fun of me for having a recreation degree and gives me a four-square ball, and we call it even, right? But anyways, um, he finished school. He moved back to his hometown. His parents own a real estate business. And so Colby decided to become a real estate agent so that he could continue to pursue his passions in life. And his passion in life is chasing storms. Literally, like the license plate, his registration on his car says Storm Chaser. That's his thing. He bought a Honda Prius, which is a hybrid, which gets amazing fuel mileage, so that when he's chasing tornadoes, he doesn't have to stop for gas. He has a laptop set up in his, pa in his passenger side. He has a, a satellite dish that he hooks up to the top of his car, and then he contracts out with different local news agencies so that they will buy his video footage of tornadoes, right? And so he chose to be a real estate agent so that he could decide when he could sell a house and when he could go chase a tornado, right? It, that's my friend Colby in a nutshell, okay? I hope one day you get to meet him because if you even see the guy, you go, I bet you chase storms, right? He's just, that's, that's, that's him. But there's some people in this world like Colby, that love storms, that pursue storms. And there's this interesting thing that no matter what you do in life, no matter where we go in life, no matter what career we pursue, no matter what calling we chase after, no matter who we marry, no matter how many kids we have, 
no matter how much we try to insulate it from ourselves, you can't escape storms in life, can you? Right? There's not one area in this world, in this little ball of dirt and water that we live in called earth, that is free from storms. Storms happen, right? We're heading into typhoon season as a church, aren't we? Like not as a church, as an as a, as a entire city, right? I say as a church because there was a point last year between July and October where a quarter of all our Sunday gatherings were typhooned out. Not that I'm bitter about that or anything to the weather observatory. But anyways, um, we, we can't avoid storms. And not only can you not avoid storms, usually you can't plan for them either, Right? It's not like we wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to plan on there being an absolute crisis in my life today in a storm, right? That's what we're kind of defining storms as today. And you can't predict them. And oftentimes, storms cause damage too, right? One of the things Colby loves to do is after he chases his tornadoes and the tornado eventually goes away, he'll, turn, he'll make a U-turn and then go back on the same route that he chased the storm with, this time slower, and stop and see how much damage was caused by these storms. And he gets excited. Like, that excites him. There was a, a couple, what was it, a couple years, last year when we had one of our T-10s to hit this city. Like, he messaged me. And you, and you know, sometimes like, with messaging or emails or, or DMs, like, it's hard to pick up people's tones, right? This one was not. You could hear, oh, you could almost just sense the giddiness in Colby. There's a direct hit typhoon coming from Hong Kong. What are you going to do? So I'm going to take photos and send it to you. Thank you, right? <laughs> but, but, the, but we can't avoid them. And, and so oftentimes storms in our life produce and cause damage. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we as, as ministers, as leaders in the, in the church, do a bad salesman job on, on, on people, saying, you know what, if you follow Jesus, the waters are going to be calm, and everything's going to be fine, and it's going to be 23 and sunny, and no pollution, and just glorious day, every day of your life. Every traffic light will always be green. Right? Your MPF will always be overflowing. Right? The market will always go up. But that's not the case. That's not even biblical, right? And, and we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. Because I think it's all relevant to what God wants to show you. But it's going to start in the book of Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And this is an instance of storms in people's lives. We're in Gospel of Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open it up to that as we look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'll, I'll read it, but I believe we have it up on the screen as well. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed him. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. 
The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why were you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. That even the wind and waves obey him. So this is, this is a, if you grew up in church, this is a common story. We hear all the time about Jesus calming the storms, right? And it's interesting that Jesus was right in the middle of this storm, wasn't he? Oftentimes, we tend to think if we're in the middle of a storm in life, if our boat starts to take on water and the waves start to crash and it looks like we're going down, then it must mean that God has abandoned us. But in this instance, the disciples could not have been closer to Jesus than they were in this moment, right? We tend to think of these boats described in this as kind of like these luxurious, like, Royal Caribbean cruise liners where like the disciples are up on deck like scrubbing away trying to hold the boat together. Jesus is taking a nap down in the presidential suite, right? That's not, the, the, that's not what the type of boats they were talking about at all. These are very crude, rudimentary, simplistic fishing vessels. When it says that Jesus was below deck sleeping, most of the time, most scholars believe he was sleeping in, where, in, the, in the place where most of the time fish is stored. Right? So it's not as if Jesus was, you know, five decks below the shuffleboard or, or anything like that. Jesus was right in the middle of the storm with these guys. And I love how, you know, it kind of sounds like uh, if you look at, what is it, what verse is it? Um, verse 38, right? Verse 38 where the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Right? I love that, you know, you can interpret that we're a couple different ways. Like they could say, like, some people think that maybe the disciples were saying, the Messiah of the world is about to drown. What's going to go happen? I don't think that's the case at all. I think most of the time when we're faced with storms, usually our concern is not about the other people in the, in the boat with us in that storm, is it? Oftentimes it's, oh, my goodness, this is happening to me. Right? I'm going to drown. We're going to drown. This storm is going to be the end of us. But I, I think that, that what Jesus sets the example for is that he starts to look for other people. It's so easy when you're in the middle of the storm to think you're the only person in this world who's experiencing this storm for themselves. But don't you remember earlier in this passage? It talked about how the disciples left with Jesus in this boat, but other boats followed. So not only was the storm calmed for this boat, it was calmed for all the boats on this lake as well. So just because you're facing a storm doesn't mean you have to face this alone. Number one, God is closer than you think. He's right there with you. But number two, 
there are usually people in your life who have faced storms like you have at the same time or before you. And we can lean on them for experience. We can lean on them for understanding and wisdom. So just because we're following Jesus doesn't mean our life is free of storms. If anything, honestly, I think if there's one thing that Scripture shows us, so if there's one thing guaranteed in life, is that if you're in proximity to Jesus, if you're in the company of Jesus, you're going to be usually heading straight into storms. If you are in the company of Jesus, you are guaranteed to go through storms in life. And there is not one instance throughout all of Scripture where it talks about how there was a storm coming and Jesus decided, let's try to avoid this sucker and let's go around it. Most of the time when it deals with stories of Jesus and storms, Jesus heads straight towards the eye of the typhoon. So if you are in the company of Jesus, if you are following Jesus, you are guaranteed to go through storms in this life. That's just how it works, folks. You think of another instance. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22, starting at verse 22, and we'll end at verse 33. So Matthew 14, 22. This is one of those famous passages of Scripture, too. It says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Jesus had just done some amazing ministry. He fed 5,000 people with a little um, low-income boy's snack. right? So he wants to dismiss the people after, after this amazing incident. Um, verse 23, After sending them home, he went up, into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. So Jesus is up on the hills praying. He sent his disciples across the lake to go. And so the disciples are in the boat by themselves. Jesus is praying by himself. Verse 24 is where we are. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen. And they were fighting heavy waves. About three in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. And we always try to, we tend to kind of make light of that. We try to make fun of the disciples. But let me just tell you this. If I'm out in the middle of a storm on a boat, and I see something walking on the water come to me, I'm going to think the exact same thing. Right? I th- I honestly, I kind of think that someday, this is a side note, by the way, um, someday in heaven, there's going to be a room for all of us pastors who ever made fun of the disciples or Abraham, Moses, Noah. God's going to bring all of us into a room, and he's going to bring all of these characters into a room, and we're going to have to say, hey, I'm sorry that I made fun of you from the pulpit. I'm sorry that I thought that you were just silly for thinking that something walking on water was a ghost, Right? Like, I would absolutely think that. But anyways, back to the sermon, Brad. Okay, verse 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once. And isn't it interesting how Jesus always reaches us when we're at our most afraid? 
Isn't it interesting how when we're at our most fearful in the middle of our storms, God doesn't turn his back on us and wait for it to subside. He meets us in the middle of the storm, doesn't he? He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Verse 28 says, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat. Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You know, I think, I think someday, um, someday all of us pastors who have used Peter as an example, um, Peter's going to get to make fun of us, right? We, give, we often give Peter so much grief about, look, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to sink in the middle of the storm. And that's true. But you know what? I want to give the guy credit. There, he was in a boat full of other people. He was the only one who had the guts to say, God, I'll come. Ask me to do the impossible, I'll come. Right? But following Jesus guarantees us storms in life. There's no way to get around it. But it, you know what? It seems to us, it seems to me, and just I think the reason why God has wanted me to preach this to you today, and I'm calling this sermon Smile at the Storm. Okay? Because it just sounds nice and poetic. But, anyways, um, it also I think it can be an attitude for us. In that If we're guaranteed storms in life, there's this temptation to have this mentality of just expecting storms to hit us. And, and, and whenever something good is happening in our life, we, we start to have this spirit of dread that starts to come over us. You know, it's like, okay, things are going too well right now. When's the storm about to hit and destroy all this, right? Have you ever felt that way, Right? Maybe you ever thought, man, things are really great right now. That makes me worried. I know people like that. I know people like that. Like the worst thing that could happen to them is to have a good day, right? Because that completely throws off their, wor- their day. That throws off their plans. They, there's people in this world who I think wake up every single day expecting something to go wrong. Expecting something to break, expecting some winds to come, expecting that tragedy, expecting that, that something bad is going to happen to me. I'm not going to deny that storms come to your life. But it seems as if for so many of us, we tend to live from storm to storm to storm, right? And I've heard, I, I just... In, in, Throughout the last week, I think the reason why God wants me to preach this is because I've heard so many of you who have been going through, have been through, or are in the middle of some kind of storm. 
whether it be with relatives and family, whether it be with circumstances and loss, whether it be with employers, whatever the circumstance is, I'm not here to define what a storm is for you. I want to acknowledge it and identify it. I want to tell you today, I don't think that that thinking of, of thinking I'm living life from storm to storm to storm is the way that God intended for you to walk through life. I don't see it as biblical. Jesus does say, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will face storms. We absolutely acknowledge that. But if you live your life expecting to go from one storm to another storm to another storm, it's as if you're just expecting and living your life with this expectancy to be disappointed, to be hurt, for things to fall short. You're expecting people to betray you, right? You're expecting people to blackmail you. You're expecting him to lie about you. To me, that just doesn't seem to to line up with Scripture, right? What does Romans 12.2 say? Let's see what Romans has to say about this. Because that thinking is honestly what most of the world kind of expects, right? That's how we kind of grow up thinking. Because it's not just believers. It's not like the first storm I encountered didn't occur until I became, became a believer and followed Jesus. I faced storms my whole life. Right? Jesus is not the integral depo- component to storms. Right? But it is Jesus that changes things. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Does anybody else in Scripture have let God transform you into in bold caps underlined? Or maybe that's just my Bible, right? But that's the emphasis, obviously. Dutton, that's the Dutton emphasis. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't have the same mindset that I'm going to walk into a storm, and then when I get out of it, I'm sure something else bad is going to happen, right? What's, that, what, what's the, the, the pop culture? Bad news ca- travels in threes, right? When one celebrity dies, it usually means two more are going to die, right? It's like when one bad thing happened to me, that means there's going to be two more. And it, that's it, it's the type of thinking that if we don't challenge ourselves to fundamentally change, we will apply that to our Christian life as well. But look what what God says and what Paul is telling us is he wants God to transform us into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. He's not calling you to ignore storms or to be some mentally disabled psychotic person who doesn't even believe storms exist. He's simply asking you and telling us as the church, change the way you think. And that allows God to transform you from the inside out. The Bible and other translations says we are to renew our minds. Scripture also reminds us that God's glory is brighter than any storm. Right? We'll look at that in a moment. I just want to go back to my notes. Um, if you live, coming back, if, if we don't 
embrace this passage of Scripture, if we don't embrace letting God transform us by changing the way we think, we're going to keep expecting storms in every aspect of our life. And and that can turn great news into bad reports if we're not careful. I think the perfect example of this is found in the Old Testament whenever the 12 spies are sent in to Canaan, right, into the promised land to go stake out the land, see what the land is like, see what, what the nation of Israel has been promised, right? And so they're gone for a few days, and then they come back and they start to report on everything, right? And it talks about how they even brought some fruit back from the land that they had spied, right? And so they come back and they say, like, there's these giants there. Ten of the spies were like, there's these giants, and they're massively strong, and there's so many of these people, there's no way that we can do this. There's no way that we, the nation of Israel, after they had crossed the Red Sea, were about to, you know, been freed from the Egyptians, all that good stuff. Um, there's no way we can do this. This is too big for us. But there were two spies that carried grapes that they cut from one of the vineyards in this land of goodness that God had promised his people. And, they say, and the scripture says that the, the grapes were so heavy, this vine, this bunch of grapes was so heavy, they actually had to run a pole through them and carry them on their shoulders. It was so bountiful. Do you get the image of that? Like, imagine the grapes you buy at Park and Shop or Taste multiplied by about 20, Right? These grapes are huge and heavy, so heavy. How many of you have ever picked up a sack of grapes and said, oh, this is just too heavy for me, right? If that's the case, we need to get you to a gym, okay? But the point is this, is that these grapes were so fruitful and overflowing that it took two grown men to carry them. But yet... So many people in the nation of Israel took that good news of look at what this land has got that God has promised us is capable of doing and producing and turned it into a bad report because they were expecting storms. And until we transform our minds, Until we transform our lives, amen, until we transform our lives by the renewing of our minds, good news can be taken as a bad report. And God's glory is bigger than any storm, though. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You remember who the leader, the, 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 the leader of the nation of Israel was whenever they sent the spies in? It was a man named Moses, right? Moses led the nation of Israel. And, it, and the Old Testament records how Moses would interact with God and how he would go up on a mountain and he would have these interactions with God and God, he would face God. And when he would come down off the mountain, because he was in the presence of God, his face would literally be glowing, right? It'd be like a Shoshido commercial times about 35, like with as much light, to the point where people couldn't even look at Moses. He had to wear a veil 
just to be able to say, hey, here's what God is saying and not be a distraction. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That gives us a little bit of context. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 7. And that was the, what this is called the old way. The old way with laws etched in stone by Moses led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So that's the Old Testament. That's the law. We're under grace instead of the law now. Verse 8. Shouldn't we, he's talking to you, shouldn't you expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way, and the new way is Jesus Christ. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which remains forever? God's glory is greater than any storm you face. And if you are in Christ, God wants to transform your life through changing how you think. And how you, He wants you to think is this. He doesn't want you to think, I have to live from storm to storm to storm. We don't live from storm to storm, folks. If we're in Christ... We live from glory to glory to glory. God has called you to live in everlasting glory. If you're in the middle of a storm, that should, in a weird way, excite you. Because it means that the glory is just around the corner, right? You can look at the storm, you can smile at the storm you're in today and say, you know what, absolutely it's awful right now. Absolutely they're against me. Absolutely they stabbed me in the back. Absolutely he turned his back on me and he lied to me and she stole from me and he told these people things about me and they tweeted unfair things about me. But I'm in a storm. But you know what, I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to say hallelujah Jesus because that means that the glory is about to come in. Amen? Yeah. We don't live from storm to storm, folks. We live from glory to glory. And our enemy tries to use storms against us. And this may be what you need to hear today, okay? Your enemy is not that board. It's not that board of trustees. Your enemy is not that guy who's trying to blackmail you and get your job. Your enemy is not that group that's trying to push you out. Your enemy 
is not the lady who took your seat on the MTR. Our, according to Scripture, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is spirits and principalities, right? Our enemy is Satan. If, we're, if, we, if you are in Christ, your enemy in this world is Satan. And I'm going to give you some key into, insight into his battle maneuverings, okay? Satan is not creative. He uses the same tactics for people all over this world. And he tries to send us storms to ruin our thinking so that we can't be transformed. And he tries to make us think that life is one storm after another. He tries to make us stop remembering and living that we live from glory to glory. He tries to make you start thinking that you live from storm to storm. He tries to bring despair in that way. And he used storms against Jesus, didn't he? He used literal typhoon storms. He used storms of political maneuvering. He used storms of religious authority maneuvering. But ultimately, just when he thought he had won using the storm of the cross, Jesus came out even stronger, didn't he? Not even death, the storm of death defeat Jesus and if you are in Christ that same death defeating storm defeating empowering strength lives inside of you and you can know every single storm you're facing in life you're going to come out stronger you can smile at the storm you know I'm going to come out of this a lot stronger. Jesus came out of his storms a lot stronger, didn't he? Think of it this way. This is a hammer. Right? There's one thing you may not know about this hammer. This hammer is uh, about 15 years old. This hammer today in 2018 is stronger than it was the day I bought it. Because it's been used. You may not know this. Every single time you use a quality hammer, it gets stronger. Because on a molecular level, every single time you use the hammer to hit the nail, it compresses the atoms of whatever the component of the metal is, to make it denser and denser and makes it more solid, makes it stronger. So physically, this hammer is better today than it was the day I got it at a hardware store. Folks, you're this hammer. And it may not feel good every single time you go through a storm. It may not be convenient to you. It may hurt. It may cause a season of storms. It may cause a season of loss. But no, every time you hit the storm in your life, it's making you stronger. You're getting stronger with every blow. You're getting more useful and effective with every single pow. 
And so many of us want to pray, God, take me out of this storm. Take me out of this storm. But he's the God who wants to see you through the storm. Because you come out that much stronger. You come out looking like someone who's described in Psalm 112. And this will be where I end this today. Psalm 112. This talks about the characteristics of a righteous man or righteous woman. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. This is what this is the uh, side effects. What you're about to see are the side effects of people who are righteous, who have put their fear or their trust in the Lord. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. And he goes on and on, and I want to look down at verse 7. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Once you understand and change the way you think from life being one storm after another to life being one glory after another, there may be storms in the middle, but you know that the glory's coming, then it doesn't matter what the news is. Bad news can still be a good report. Because you know that God who lives within you is the one who conquered all of the storms. So whatever storm you are facing today, whatever storm you're right in the middle of or you're heading into, maybe at work on Monday morning, you know there's a storm brewing and you're going to walk right into it. Whatever it is that you feel like maybe I'm starting to come out of or there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, know that glory is just around the corner because God can be trusted at His Word. And He's never far from you even in the middle of your storms.